You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 234, Paul Edwards and Serving God's Other Children. This is a great conversation. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I, of course, am your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad you've downloaded. And uh, if you enjoy the show, tell tell a friend about it or when podcasts come up because it's increasingly common. Don't know if you know that, but we're getting podcasts are getting out there. More and more people at least know what they are. When I first started this thing, that wasn't true. Uh, but here we are. So we have a great guest for you here today. Uh, he is an executive ghostwriter, a CEO best-selling author and host of Influencer Networking Secrets podcast. Our guest is Paul Edwards. Paul, welcome to Halfway There. Eric, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I am so excited to uh, make the connection and I can't wait to just uh, hear kind of what you're what you're up to and hear a little more about your story. What uh, Tell us just a little bit about you and kind of where God has you right now. Oh, what an interesting season it is to be um, following the God of Israel. Um, yeah. And knowing what all that entails, um, much more so than than I ever have. Uh, you know, you could look at any season and say, <clears throat> um, it was interesting then, it's interesting now. But um, by comparison, um, the more you know of him and how he how he's at work and how he usually shows up, not always, but usually, um, the more I just, I watch incredible things and miracles and, uh, unexpected things as well show up on a daily basis. And I'm like, I kind of saw that coming for some reason. I'm, I'm not because I'm, you know, I have this, um, supernatural gift of seeing the future, but just because, yeah, it sounds like what he would do at this stage. You know, you, you like, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've seen this before. So, um, he has me, uh, in a position of high privilege leading a, a wonderful team, um, at a, as we're growing into a marketing and communications firm, um, for, uh, faith-based influencers, thought leaders, executives, coaches, consultants, that kind of thing. Um, specializing with the writing portion of it, but um, increasingly finding uh, that they need help in, in other areas of marketing as well. And other than that, he's uh, I have a wonderful, solid marriage of 15 years with boys of 12 and 10. Uh, we're navigating the uh, the world after February of 2020. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just uh, taking each day at a time, but uh, I, seeing increasingly where it's leading and looking forward to the messianic kingdom. Yeah. Well, I love that. Okay. So there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff in there. Um, so I want to hear the story of kind of how you got here and where you're, where you're kind of, where you've seen God working in your life. Uh, where did you grow up? Where are you from? I originally come from the city of Edmonton in Alberta, Canada. Okay. I was born there, uh, in 1980. Uh, lived there the first eight years of my life. Um, then we emigrated to the United States and I lived in Southern California for 13 years. Um, as a young man at 21, I made the decision to uh, <clears throat> travel abroad. Uh, lived in Great Britain for about a year and a half, which is where I became a believer at uh, Hillsong Church in London. And then joined the United States military from there, ended up stationed in Germany. Um, did a tour of combat in Iraq, came back, married my wife. She was also living over there as an American civilian. And then uh, we came back to Washington State, where we've lived for the last 15 years. I finished out my time in the military, got a degree in communications from Pacific Lutheran University, and spent most of my 30s uh, learning to network and build uh, relational capital through the insurance business until that ended just three years ago. And I decided to become a self-employed entrepreneur. And there so that's go. what led me eventually to uh, ghostwriting and now to uh, leading an agency. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. Um, I think networking is an underappreciated tool, right? It's an underappreciated um, 
thing. At least it was for me. I'll tell you that. So when I worked at a bank, didn't care about networking, right? But when I got into podcasting, it was a different story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. Well, okay. So that's kind of the broad strokes and I appreciate that. So it sounds like your family wasn't a, wasn't a uh, Christian family at all. My mom was nominally Catholic. And as a boy, uh, we went to midnight mass, Easter services. We would go pure, uh, sporadically to Sunday mass. So I had exposure to it um, enough to know what the story was. My dad was a lapsed Anglican. And uh, by the time I reached that critical age, he was a confirmed atheist. Ah. Um, and so, yes, it was a, it was a very uh, wild <laughs> wild field in which to be in which to grow up and certainly not one that um, was very friendly or accepting of uh, of the bible and so in that sense i've uh, but you know i i um i had a personality of um extremes and following through uh for much longer than most other people could on subjects i was interested in and once the gospel got a hold of me there was no getting it out yeah. Well, uh, that's fascinating. Okay. So how did that shape you with your dad kind of being atheist? Like that, did that, I would think for some people it put them on kind of a path of a similar path, but what, what was that? Yeah, we've, uh, we've had a few fallouts about it. Um, and I've learned that, um, there's no changing people head on. Um, when you're, especially when they're coming at it from a place of pain, uh, I find most people's lack of faith uh, is stemming from pain somewhere in their life. Mm. Um, certainly, that was the case with me um, because I nearly lost mine um, as as my thirties wore on and the difficulty, and so I began to neglect certain aspects of the journey and uh, coarsened my my testimony and um, fell back into an addiction that I thought I'd beaten. Um, It was all, you could trace it all to a point of pain. Mm, Yeah. And the problem with pain in the world that we live in is that it's very tempting to take on the spirit of an orphan and think, well, I guess I'm just on my own and left to deal with this pain and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, And that's not the truth, but God is not out there standing there with a loudspeaker broadcasting it on the corner, right? You got to go on a journey to discover that. And um, it's not a journey I've ever, I'm not aware that he's ever taken it up to this day. Yeah. And um, so we, it's, it's one of those things that's sort of a cordial detente area between us. We don't really talk about it that much, but, uh, but we have had a few clashes over it over the years. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, so how did you find faith? You said you found faith in, in, uh, in England. Like what, what happened? Tell me that story. There was a conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was, I was over there. I was actually in a very uh, high season of my life. Uh, I was 21. I had undergone a huge transformation. I'd lived with a mentor for a while. And so I was really making some positive steps. I was getting good jobs and making good impressions and getting promoted and, and all of that. So a lot of people come to God in a low season. I wasn't in a low season. I was um, happy go lucky. And I was living overseas in this culture where I was, you know, I spoke the language, but you don't speak the language, right? You, you're, you're obviously a different person <laughs> right. on foreign soil. And um, I just, uh, I found that I didn't, I didn't want to be, um, in I, I just had, had lost my appetite for the conventional secular culture. Um, most people my age were going out to bars, and that was where they were, you know, imbibing significant amounts of alcohol, which led to casual sexual encounters. That, um, frankly, the next day they were, you know, forget it and see you later. Never, never knew you, kind of thing. And I wasn't. I was just. For 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 twenty one, I I was like I don't know many people who think like this, but I didn't want that. I wanted something a little bit more solid than that, something with a little bit more substance to it. Um. So what over time, what happened was uh, my uncle, uh, my mom's brother. Uh, I was living with him at the time, and he was um, 
by this time had been a, a disciple for many years. So he started, you know, injecting it into the conversation and I bristled at it. You know, I don't want to hear about that stuff and, and all that. Um, but the more I resisted it, the more other people began to turn up and just randomly inject him into the conversation as well. And so I would be, <clears throat> um, I remember distinctly, I was, I lost, I'd lost one job. So I was in between jobs and, um, a cousin of mine said, Hey, I have a property over in this part of London. If you go over there and, and help paint, you know, strip paint off the walls, I'll pay you 50 pounds or something like that. I was like, okay. So I go over there and I'm working with these two guys and they both got onto the topic of God and both of them can, yeah, I'm, I believe in God, you know? And I was just getting a little tired of this. Everyone I talked to seemed to bring up God. And, uh, this, this is that conspiracy you were talking about. This is the conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm walking along one day. I'm like, won't you just leave me alone? I don't want anything to do with you. I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. I don't want, you know, and, um, you get the same reaction response from him that you get with most everything else you say to him is silence. And so I said, well, whatever you want with me, um, okay, fine. You, if you, if you want, my life. If you want to be, make yourself real to me, go ahead and do it. <laughs> and it, there was nothing like uh wah, wah in that moment. He didn't suddenly manifest and appear, but I just found myself all of a sudden able to say, okay, I, I'll, I'll try it. You know, what's the worst, what's the worst that could happen? Turns out I was right. I go back to my life. And um, then I began to meet people who invited me to Bible studies. And eventually, um, I was working in, a, uh, in a, a fitness club in the financial district of London. And I mentioned, I've been looking for, I've been looking to see if I can start attending church more. I, I, you know, I was just, we were just talking one day and she said, well, why don't you come to, to my church? We, you know, and I said, well, where's yours? And she said, she told me where it was. And I'm thinking, you know, steeples and organ music and incense and, you know, typical liturgical. I go into this massive theater full of young 20-somethings singing, you know, pop rock evangelical songs, raising their hands. I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And uh, it took a little bit of getting used to, but, you know, probably two or three weeks later, the altar call went out and I was standing there and I raised my hand and that was it. I was signing up and I wasn't turning back. I said, I don't care how absurd this sounds. This is better than anything I've ever come across. Wow. And um, that's where it began, but that wasn't where it ended. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's, that's one of the things we do here. I, I, you know, I call the show halfway there because the journey is longer, deeper and wider than we've been told. When I was a kid, it was always the testimony was, well, I was, my life was terrible and I met Jesus and now my life is great which is awesome, except for all the things that happen right to yeah. us uh, after that. So I, I love that. Um, interesting. So that's, that's amazing that you've, you found that, yeah, this is better than, than anything else that I found. So what, what happened then? And how, how were you kind of, how'd you grow as a, as a disciple? I hear a lot of, um, you know, kingdom language that you're using, which I love, like, that's kind of how I, I prefer to think of it as well. I think it gives us a better perspective, but that's also not that common. Maybe it is over there, but it's not common in the United States. I'm curious what, what, uh, you know, how, how you were sort of discipled in that way. Well, there was a, it was a, a, um, conflagration, I guess you would say of my extremely committed personality, right. With, with anything that, that captivates me. I can just go at it for years longer than the average person. Um, but the, the other, the other side of this, um, is I believe there's a reason and it's not an accident and it's not a mystery. It's just, uh, I believe there's a reason that, uh, churches like Hillsong are so infectious, um, to the, to anybody who experiences them. And it's not because they're, you know, they, they know some secret that no one else knows. They're just doing their homework, right? Yeah. They are, they are, they, they can be bothered to go to the lengths to, to ask the question and keep asking the question. When, if, if you were a, 
negative three on the scale of faith, right? If you're a seeker, you're not really sure about this, but you're open to it and you're walking into this church, what would you want to have happen? What would, what would totally change your perspective? And when once they figure out what that is, they go after it full throttle and they don't stop until they got it. Yeah. And I, th- I think most churches just can't be bothered to do that. Well, there's something really interesting about that, isn't there? Because it, it takes, and this is what we're, we're learning in marketing as a, as a podcaster, and, and probably you have too. It takes thinking about the other person, right? Mm-hmm. And caring more about what they want than what you want and how you want it to go. Yeah. Yeah, which is hard yeah. to do. I, I, when I went in there, um, first of all, I'd never seen anything like it. But second of all, I hadn't been in there 10 seconds when somebody was coming up to me sincerely, not flaky, not hokey. They were just greeting me and um, said, you know, is this your first time? You ever been here before? And I said, oh, actually, it is my first time. And they said, oh, well, if you'd like, we we have, um, I got, I'd like to introduce you to so-and-so upstairs. Okay. So I go and I meet this uh, lovely young Filipino gal, um, Filipina gal. Um, her name is Myra. I'm still friends with her to this day. And she's just full of warmth and energy. And uh, she says, oh, you must come and sit with my friends. Um, and she points out these two guys and they became my best friends, a part of the, you know, and, and they immediately invited me to a, a life group that their life group culture was, you know, just booming and people were meeting all over the city. And, and I, some of it is Europe, right? Europe, the, the Europeans are very, are a lot more socially oriented than we are. Mm. And so they like to get together in cafes and pubs and meet up and talk for much longer than Americans do. <laughs> but to me, that wasn't, <clears throat> that wasn't at all. That uh, didn't make me uncomfortable at all because the alternative was mainly being by myself. And so I was, uh, I was eager to have some, you know, some, some really, some friends who were at least working on their character instead of trying to find them in pubs. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, I guess what I would say is that I, I later asked Myra about that. I asked her, is that just, is that just naturally how you are? And she said, well, I'm, I, you know, I, I can't really comment on how I am. I can only comment on what they trained us to do. And she spelled some of it out, you know, and, and I said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's gotta be it. They're doing their homework. Right. Yeah. And they're, and they're, like you said, their, their, their main focus is empathizing with that average person who walks through the door. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Well, that's interesting about, uh, you know, just from a church uh, perspective, I guess that's, that's very interesting, but, um, I want to hear more of your story. So it sounds like you got that drew you in and got you kind of connected with some people. You were then in a life group and you're talking to people. Um, how, how did that, how'd your faith progress from there? What, what kind of happened as you were like learning this thing that was kind of brand new to you? Yeah, I, um, well, as you, as you so eloquently put it earlier, um, my life was terrible and then I met Yeshua <laughs> and now my life is great, except for all the bad stuff that's happened afterwards. Right. <laughs> so what happened with me was, um, I had the honeymoon period, you know, first three to six months when you're in the kingdom is all, it's just, you're, you're just, uh, you know, I was running around singing in all three, singing in the choir and all three Sunday services stayed the whole day, went to cafes, went after, after the services, we go out to a pub and talk till 10, 11 at night and then go home forming relationships, forming, you know, great bonds and all that. But um, around the end of that year, that was 2002, um, unbeknownst to me, but the Lord was fully on board with the idea of uh, beginning to strip away um, my iniquity. And this is something that, you know, continues to this day, though the work is far less invasive now than it used to be. And uh, one of the things that happened was professionally, um, I made an agreement with pride um, in that in that season. And uh, it ended up costing me dearly because I threw my professional life into chaos um, by thinking a little bit too highly of myself and my work. And so... Um, I spent most of the winter of 2002 going into 2003 trying to find work. It's difficult to do 
at any in anywhere, but especially in England, they tend to really hunker down during the winter and not do much hiring or mm. anything. And uh, in the meantime, I had been feeling another thing I'd been feeling like I should do or should at least look into was uh, joining the military because we were, you know, getting into the thick of the war against terrorism. And <clears throat> I'm watching all this happen on TV and thinking I'm a young, able-bodied man. I should be involved in this. And so unemployed and um, facing the risk of having to go back to my dad and ask him for money, which was going to be an awful lot of money since the dollar was like two to one with the British pound. I said, mm. I got to, I got to do something and I got to find a job where I can't quit and I can't get fired. <laughs> so I joined the military. Yeah. Fits that and, bill, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get fired and it's hard to, and it's hard to quit. Well, it's almost impossible to quit. Um, so that began the journey, but, uh, but I didn't realize at the time I wasn't mature enough to know that it was my pride that had got me there. So um, I, I went into the military, and it was, a, it was a very radically different culture than I had been used to at Hillsong. And it got to me eventually in some ways, um, not in the ways that you would might normally expect, like vice, alcoholism, pornography, that kind of stuff. That didn't get to me. What got to me was the, uh, the, the bully um, authoritarian culture. And, um, and I allowed myself in the latter days of my, of my enlistment to become quite an authoritarian, which, you know, it, it, it's, it's safe to do when you're wearing that rank and it carries so much weight. You would never normally treat people that way. Yeah. Um, and I knew better, but I, I went ahead and did it anyway. Cause I didn't see that nobody seemed to respond to my, um, my kingdom heart you know, because I was swimming against the tide. I came out of the military with a lot of anger and uh, frustration. And, but I, I wasn't fully discouraged yet because now I was completing a degree at Pacific Lutheran University. I had full post 9-11 GI Bill scholarship. So everything was paid for. And I got a stipend while I was doing it. Um, so thanks to all you wonderful taxpayers out there. <laughs> Um, I love that. Well, okay. Well, hold on. So I got to ask a couple questions there because that time in the military, where was God for you? Or, or like, where were you, were you experiencing seeking him or were you just kind of not like, what was that looking like? No, I was, I mean, I was still as, as on fire as I had been, gotcha. um, but I didn't know how to handle all of the, uh, all of the spiritually dysfunctional um, backgrounds that ca that I came up against. Yeah, I didn't know what to do with it. I was I was I was far too used to to the uh, the Shire right of uh, of Hillsong. If you you know the Shire from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Rings, everything was just wonderful there. I wasn't used to dealing with all of these you know spiritually broken or spiritually bankrupt people. Right. And um, tried and you know here and there there were moments people would ask me to pray when they were when it was down to the wire but it, i felt largely ineffective yeah <clears throat> and um but i kept pursuing him i kept you know i was faithful attending church reading the bible you know spending time with other christians who were wearing the uniform i mean that was a big thing for me and um and they they looked to me they always looked to me as the um the spiritual guardian of the whichever platoon I was in. They all, that's how I. They would always ask me to be the guy who who said the prayer or yeah, something yeah. Like that. So they knew who I was. Right? Gotcha. And then Iraq. Did you did you do some fighting in Iraq or what was that what was that like? Yeah, deployed twice. Went for um, the first time was phase two. It was like uh, beginning of two thousand four to begin to beginning of two thousand five. And the second time was the big surge of 2007 to 2008. Oh, yeah. So great memories. Um, couldn't couldn't pay me to trade them. Mm. Um, incredible experiences. Um, did some really crazy stuff that I would not do now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm a little bit too old for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was God was in it. Mm. 
Okay. God was there through it. But I, I had complicated things on a much deeper level than I really understood. And he was letting, he allowed that to shape and mold me over the next decade to the point that I realized, I realized at some level that pride and um, self-determination were just not going to cut it. Ah, uh, okay. So you were sort of self-reliant and, and really that's interesting. So how did that show up for you in, in those times and how did God eventually kind of break that? Well, it, it, that comes a little bit later in the story. Okay. Um, what, you know, as uh, continuing the, the, the narrative there, I get out of the military. Now we're at the, we're plunging into recession, but I'm, it's held at bay while I finish up college and all that. And I finish college and I try to go out and start to try, start to try getting jobs in communication and broadcasting. Um, cause I wanted to go into radio and everybody's like, you've got this radio voice and yada, yeah. yada, yada. And, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't make anything happen. Um, it was, um, it was just dead end after dead end. And so, um, in the beginning of 2012, I took a job selling insurance because it was, you know, it was, it wasn't the only job I could get, but it was something where I could at least, you know, try to perform and learn and, and, uh, and maybe make some, some good money and, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. And I ended up staying in the insurance business for six years. I worked for three different companies. Um, and, uh, and I learned how to network during that time. I learned how to build relationships and, add value to people and, and, uh, call in relational capital when I needed it. And, um, but, but that also degraded my faith and, um, and I was back into my sexual addiction that I thought I'd kicked when I first came into the kingdom. Turned out I hadn't, I just had suppressed it for a long time, but that came back. Um, the frustrations of transitioning out of the military, getting used to being at home full time with my wife, uh, growing into father, being a father of two young boys, all the noise and all the cacophony. And I, I just was not doing anything to develop myself as a man. And um, I kept hitting the snooze button on it and hoping it would go away. And it never did. So you get around to about 2017 and I got a opportunity to go to wild at heart boot camp with john eldridge oh yeah and um i took it and i said i don't know what i'm gonna get when i get there i'm so disoriented and disillusioned with this but i can't stay where i am um nothing's happening here and uh he came for me at that event he showed up and he and he showed me i'd been living as an orphan and i'd been living as though i didn't have a father and as though everything was up to me and, you know, I was pretty much had been passed over and abandoned. And, uh, I came home, I came back on a journey that is to the, I like to tell people August 20th, 2017 is still going on for me. That was the, that was the last yeah. day, but I like to tell them it's a, it's a day that's never ended because ever since then it's been all regeneration, all in the right direction. I, you know, I got, my family life is much better. My, my business is, I, my business took off last year. Um, I'm in the best physical shape of my life. And, um, and, and along the way in 2019, shortly before I, <clears throat> I, I actually started to make some money in my business. Um, God's God showed me through a number of sources and things that I was reading and, and all this time I had just to sort of sit there by myself he showed me, yeah, your problem is pride, son. Your problem is pride. And you don't, you don't really understand what, what the word means. You think it means, you know, like these WWE wrestlers doing the ain't I great march, you know, like Jeff Jarrett, <laughs> you know, well, that's a caricature of it. That's a bit of an extreme example. What he's really getting at there is that absolute dogged determination that we're going to go our own way. We're going to lead life how we think we should do it. We're not going to consult God or you know, much less submit to him. And, uh, and God said, I'm not going to bless that. I won't. You, you can try it if you want to, but don't, don't, 
Don't come crying to me when it blows up in your face. Yeah, which is interesting because that's one of the big things in the book of Kings, right? You watch the Kings and even if the Kings weren't great, if they, if they consulted the Lord, he often would give them the battle, right? Like that's, that's his deal. That's, and it's always been his deal. Very interesting. Okay. I, so I have a lot of other questions about wild at heart and kind of what it was like for you uh, beforehand and like what, what, um, and then I want to hear about that experience because I want to know what happened. Like what, what happened there that really changed your life? How, you know, I, I, well, I've got lots of questions about that. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. But so like set that stage for us beforehand. I mean, kind of did, but like the whole, like you weren't feeling like, Hey, this is a, uh, you know, life is just kind of there. Or what were you, what were you like? And why would, why would you decide to go to wild at heart? I was, <clears throat> I was dealing with stuff that was that I felt like I should have been I should have been over this a long time ago. Right? I shouldn't still be um you know looking at girly magazines. It's one thing when I was 16, it's another thing when I'm 36 and married and got two kids and you know all this responsibility. Um there might be people listening to to me who say that I totally disagree with that. I don't know. I I felt personally like I I should be past this. And the whole thing of becoming uh, deeply offended and angry and hostile, I was like, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for the kingdom so I could turn into a curmudgeon. Yeah. Right? Um, it, no matter whether the, the, the curmudgeon is, uh, you know, what his politics are, he's still a curmudgeon. He's a jerk. Right. He's unpleasant to be around. And, and I had seasonal affective disorder, which I'd never had. And I, and I felt, I never felt like I really should have it. I live in the Pacific Northwest, so I, it's a, it's a place to get it. Yeah. But the problem isn't the weather. Right. And I knew the problem wasn't the weather. I knew, I, I was like, no, the problem is me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was just coarsened and bitter and angry and sullen. Did and you prone. did you feel like God like okay, you had faith, but that faith didn't work, that believing mm-hmm. God didn't work? Yeah. Like uh I would you know I I after a while, um and I I felt like faith didn't work and I also felt like I, I had nobody I could talk to about it. Because, you know, I, I would even go and, and tell people point blank, that's how you doing? I'd say, terrible, thank you. How about you? Yeah. And they were afraid of it. They, did, they, didn't, want to, they didn't want to go there. Even at church? Even at, especially at church. Especially at church. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. Exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Right. You have somebody say that to you at church, your first thing should be, tell me. Tell me what's going on. You know? That that opens the door, but but most people are like, no, I'm sorry, I've I'm we're going to Chick Fil A, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, um, yeah, it didn't. It it was um, it was tremendously isolation, isolated time of my life, even though I was networking. My only the only sort of buttress against this was the fact that I was networking so much that I, I had people that I could joke around with. And I had a few friends who were believers, um, but not in church. They were believers that I knew through the marketplace and and we would have some quality conversations, but for the most part, it was just a sullen period of my life. I, mm. and I, and I couldn't figure out why. And I'm like, I, well, you know, I, I, I had made the, the agreement with the enemy to go in and just throw everything I had into insurance and over time, God was able to show me, I, I put you in there for a season. I didn't mean for you to stay there. Yeah. Um, you, you know, that, that was just to learn what you're going to take into what I have for you. Um, it took way longer than, than I would have liked, but that's because you didn't know how to deal with your pride and you didn't ask. And, you know, and, and quite honestly, it wasn't even a category for me. Yeah. So that's how much it blinds us. Gotcha. Okay. So you're sort of feeling isolated, feeling like maybe faith is not what it was advertised. Certainly not what you experienced early on. 
Yep. And so you're like, okay. And then how'd you get the offer to go to boot camp? Cause don't you, did you sign up for it or did, cause I think they do like a lottery even a lot oftentimes. Yeah. I was on the uh, email list. Okay. And um, they, they sent an email and so I responded to it immediately said, I'm in just, you know, and then left it in God's hands and he answered, he, you know, he, wow. he got me in and, um, I flew to Colorado. Um, and I, I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I thought maybe I'd get a revelation about a new career or something like that. No, he was going way deeper than that. Mm. And part of what they do there, there's a couple things they did. Um, one thing that, 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 men um in particular that they deal with there is the fact that we are living our lives as as less than sons of god and they point out you know uh, there's there you can live as a as an orphan you can live as a slave you can live as a servant and there there are things where you're a servant of god no question and paul sometimes identifies himself as a slave of yeshua yep and, um, but he, but one thing you're definitely not, Yeshua said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so I'm sitting there and they're talking about all this. And, um, on the final day, Morgan Snyder, who's one of their, um, main yeah. uh, speakers, Morgan said, um, Morgan had to do the teaching on, on, uh, sonship. Right. And, they um to to show the example of what the bible's trying to get across to us about the father they showed a clip from the 1992 olympics of the uh i think it was a british sprinter blew his hamstring in the in the middle of a run and his father hopped over the stadium fence and charged out into the middle of it and shoves the security guard out of the way and helps his takes his son under his you know, puts his arm over his shoulder and, and helps him finish the race. Right. Wow. And, uh, I just lost it because I realized, Oh, that's what I've been doing. And I, and I suddenly was like mm. overwhelmed by the fact that I have been, I had been saying the most awful things about God under my breath. Um, you know, he doesn't answer. He doesn't care. He doesn't listen. He, you know, and all this stuff. And I went out and wept, you know, that after, after each teaching, they would have this thing <clears throat> called covenant of silence where you would go, everybody would file out silently and you went and journaled or prayed or whatever for 30 minutes. And I went and I wept the entire time. Um, because I was like, I, I can't believe I, I ever fell for that. I can't believe I ever believed that about you. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as we've seen now, if you've seen the, um, the scene in the chosen where, um, there's the miraculous catch of fish and Peter gets out and he's on his, on his face on the ground, you know, basically weeping and owning his responsibility. And Yeshua says, lift up your head, fisherman. And he said something similar to that for me. He's like, lift up your head, son. It's all right. It's all right. And um, the other thing, of course, was that they also talk about naming rights, right? We know that the uh, the slanderer loves loves to hurl accusations and names at us. Um, but not many of us are encouraged to think about God giving us a name. Mm. And uh, he showed up with this this interesting one. I didn't realize what he was talking about. Um, he, he, he called me a father after God's own heart. Wow. And... I said, well, I, I got two boys. I mean, maybe I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't feel like much of a father, much of a successful father. Um, but not long after that, I started going to our church's uh, young adult service because I was like, my wife had been saying, let's serve in the elementary kids and the elementary kids. It's just it leaves <laughs> me. It's, it's, it's too overwhelming. I can't handle the noise. Yeah. But I started going to the young adults and I started befriending some of these young men in their early 20s and stuff like that. And now, now I see what he was talking about. Now they have a, a strong older presence in their life who can help them interpret what's going on for them. And all that stuff that wasn't done for me, right? When I was that age, I get to do for them. Yeah. 
and I'm just, I'm just totally sold out for it. I'm like, we would, uh, prior to the pandemic, we would go Thursday nights to have the service. We'd go afterwards to Applebee's and sit and talk for a few hours. And I'd come home and I was so amped up. I couldn't get to sleep. Yeah. Because I, it, it just feels so good to connect with them and to help them. And, um, you know, I just like, even now we don't, we don't get to go, we're opening back up a little bit here in Washington, but we don't get to go and do that. But they come over to my house. Um, we'll sometimes go on, you know, hikes or something together and they trust me. And, you know, they look to me as a, as an older brother and father and a mentor. And I'm like, Oh, now I see what he means. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Really interesting. Okay. Well, I'm fascinated by your experience at the Wild at Heart boot camp. Um, Cause you know, that's, that's like an hour South of me where, where I live. And, um, I one time drove, I saw, cause I'm on their list too. And John Eldridge sent on an email and said, Hey, I'm going to be at life. Uh, which one, when is it life way life, something church. Um, that's the one, it's the big church down there in, in the Springs and you come see me. And so they had, a, they were having a men's event. They had like free barbecue for everybody. Like you just come and get barbecue, hang out. I literally met a guy, some guys who were working in financial world down there. And one, one of the same guys ended up working on my floor at my job. <laughs> Cause I, I ran into him and I told him where I worked. He was like, Oh, that's a, sounds like a good idea. Anyway, but John Eldridge spoke and he gave the, what I thought was the absolute best presentation of the gospel I'd ever seen. Same thing where he's using the video clips. Right. Um, but uh, it was like, it was so amazing to to just hear like it be an invitation to a life that is good and bountiful and amazing right now um instead of just about the what's going to happen someday like that's important but that's not the invitation that Jesus gave and i thought that was it was really amazing i was reading just that the other day about um the the consumer Christianity, churchianity, as I've sometimes referred to it, I've heard it referred to that way, um, has made it all about um, do or die, right? Yeah. Either go to hell or heaven, and you got to make sure you're on the right on the right side, and that means you have to believe all the right things, and that is um, that. Uh, Although there is an end to this and there is a judgment and there is um, a verdict to be rendered, um, that, that, that makes it so limiting, right? That, that turns, if you, if you adopt, and I've adopted the view, that's why I'm saying this, I'm not pointing fingers, I've done it already. If you adopt that, that point of view, that it's, <clears throat> it's a, a, a or B, right? That there's no, there, there's not a second to waste. I mean, we're all going to be vaporized, right, or something like that. Um, it's just an extremely in, crippling to to have a real positive kingdom-like effect on people. Right. And I noticed that Yeshua never did that. Right. No. He never went up to people and said, "Choose heaven or hell," because I'm about to blow this place to smithereens. Right. Right. He was telling stories. He was showing interest and empathy and compassion to people. Um, he was confrontational, but he was, but he wasn't always confrontational. Um, he was, he healed some and not others. He dealt with some people right from the get go and others. He, you know, he, he dealt with them more slowly. There's, I, I, I don't, I just can't subscribe to that. I mean, there, there might be times where you have to say that, but for the most part, that whole approach, you know, well, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? That's, that's a bridge too far for the average person there. Especially today. Like it's, it's very different today. So pe people like authenticity and they want a relationship first. And they're very skeptical until they see either, but at least one of those two things. So yeah. Um, really interesting. Okay. Well, that's, that's really fascinating. So you, you've written this book and it sounds like it comes out soon. Influencer networking secrets, um, because networking was kind of the thing you learned from, from insurance. 
I'm fascinated by that. I think it's such an important and powerful skill. I tell my podcasters all the time, learn how to do this because um, it's amazing the people that you'll get to get to have on your show and, and connect with. If you just ask or ask who people know, things like that. What, why this, why, why networking? What I'm finding is that um, anything good in life, the, the, the most, uh, growth oriented, pleasant, uplifting, um, productive, you know, whatever positive terminology you want to put on it. The, the periods of my life that were, where that was, you know, in, in flow all coincide with when I was building strong relationships with a group of people. Um, every time I develop professionally, it's because I'm in a mastermind or coaching group. Every time I develop relationally um, as a friend, as a husband, as a father, it's because I'm in a strong community. And every time I deteriorate and get worse, it's because I'm in isolation. Wow. I don't think that's an accident. No. In fact, um, Rabbi Daniel Lappin's one of my favorites. Uh, he points out that the entire universe is built on the concept of bonding. <laughs> I love mean, that. You can't yeah. have water unless hydrogen and oxygen right. bond. And you can't have salt unless sodium and chloride bond. And you can't have true creativity unless you have at least two human beings. Yeah. Wow. And, and you know, the, the most obvious example of that is you can't have a child without a, one man and one woman. But, you know, it's true in business. It's true in ghostwriting, which is my specialty in the, in the marketing world. I tell people all the time, you want to write a book that nobody wants to read, write it by yourself. <laughs> yeah. You want to write a book that pops and people are like, wow, this is engaging, interesting reading. Use a ghostwriter. Um, because, and, and in the mastermind thing is the same example, right? I have the, I have my own personal board of directors that knows what I'm up to, that I'm accountable to. So there's an element of responsibility there, but there's also this fantastic <clears throat> reality that any idea that I'm considering taking up or decision that I'm thinking about making or strategy I want to pursue, I've got nine other brains to work on it besides my own. Yeah. All of that to say that networking creates all of the resources that you need to do that thing that seems impossible. When we read the book of Acts, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced this is what the, the, the early church was doing. Oh, yeah. We read the book of Acts and we read this situation. This guy just walked into this town, stood on a street corner and started preaching and boom, millions of people were saved. I don't think so. I don't think so. That's ridiculous. All you got to do is go try it. Right. Right. <laughs> right. People shuffle right past you. I've seen them. You go to a Seahawks game here in Seattle. There's some nut out there with the megaphone. Repent or the end is near. And people just walk right on by. They don't even pay attention. Right. But go build relationships with people. Oh yeah, it's you wildfire, get, right? You get to, you sow seeds. Go go add value. Go be generous without asking anything in return. And people are like that's different. Nobody ever does that for me. Yeah. Um, and in fact, my whole foundational verse for this comes from Luke chapter sixteen, verse nine. Right. So as I tell you, use worldly wealth for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You go out there with no ulterior motive, you go out there and start adding value to people, creating opportunities for them, blessing them. And I'm not talking about giving them money necessarily, if you don't have any, right? I'm talking about doing things for them that help them get what they want. Yep. Help them get, solve a problem, fix, you know, fix a need, understand better, whatever, wherever your gift lies, use it to bless the people around you. And they, they just, they'll, they're drawn to you like moth to a flame. Yeah. It's that old Zig Ziglar quote, right? You can have anything in life you want, as long as you help enough other people get what they want. Correct. Which is a, it's a thoroughly biblical principle, right? Generosity. Mm -hmm. I love it. 
Love it. Fascinating. Okay. So you wrote the book and it comes out when? In April? Yeah, it's already on uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. The ebook is there. Okay, um, you oh, can cool. pre-order um, copies. I'm also giving away a whole bunch. If anybody wants some, they can reach out to me. But uh, in bookstores, it'll be out at select bookstores around April, uh, March, April timeframe. Yes, fantastic, love it. This will be out before then, so that's great. Um, Paul, I think that's fascinating. You have a definitely a, a fascinating story, and I'm I'm interested. Uh, and all of that, I'm sure there's more, but, uh, that's, that's amazing. Is there, people can find you, your website is the Paul S Edwards.com, right? Correct. Okay. T H E Paul S as in Sam Edwards.com. And, uh, that'll tell you a little bit more about what I do. And, uh, you know, if you want to reach out to me via social media, same handle, the Paul S Edwards. Perfect. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Oh boy, that's a good one. Um, it's a privilege to serve God by serving his other children. If you can wake up, even in a job that you don't particularly like, and you can think to yourself today, I have the privilege of serving the Most High God by waiting patiently and with, with, with my full energy on the needs of one of his children. I will take home a reward, be it a paycheck, a commission, whatever, right? Um, that's foundational for me. That's like, if, if I can wake up every day, if I can go meet with my team, I can go network with people in my network, I can go talk to one of my clients, I can, if I can just say, I am, I am here to serve God by serving his other children. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. Mm. It only matters that you do it. Uh, with a joyful heart and do it as unto the Lord and watch um, that, that, that perspective will change everything. Absolutely. That'll make any, any job worth doing. I love that. Paul, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Eric, it was great being here. Thanks so much for having me.